Hello, my name is Joanna Bailey. And I'm Tom Boone. Welcome to the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up in today's show, Joe will take a deep dive into everything JetBlue, and I'll take a look at whether Austria could be killing off low-cost flights. I'll look at why thousands of pigs are being flown to China on Boeing 747s, and we'll discuss a new COVID-friendly meal option being implemented. Finally, despite very publicly ditching social distancing previously, Lufthansa is still enacting the policy. We'll look at why. So, now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. So you want to start this week, Joe? Yeah, why not? So I've had the opportunity to sit in on a couple of very interesting interviews with the head honchos over at JetBlue. And we don't talk about JetBlue enough on the podcast, I don't think. So I just thought it would be nice to kind of give a summary of where they're at, where they're going and uh, what there is to look forward to. So I heard from both the CEO and the president at JetBlue um, regarding kind of how COVID is affecting them, how they're getting back to flying and what's coming up in the future. So at the moment, obviously, just like any other airline, they are operating at a very small amount of their capacity. Um, I think, you know, they have ramped up in the last few weeks, but they're still at about 30%. However, By July, they're looking to return about 50% of their previously scheduled capacity, which is actually better than they thought it was going to be. So that's one bit of good news. Um, What I didn't realise, though, um, not being from the US, is that actually the situation in America is very much um, parallel to what we're experiencing in Europe. So where JetBlue is starting to resume flights to and from different states, just as airlines in Europe are uh, having to deal with lots of different regulations in lots of different countries, JetBlue is also dealing with that same situation. So there's certain states that if you've flown from one state to another, you've got to quarantine for a certain period of time. You know, So it's quite an interesting parallel to um, understand that that challenge of dealing with all these different kind of ways of handling COVID is you know, it's being replicated the other side of the Atlantic as well. And obviously something I didn't realise. So um, they have had some support from the CARES Act, which has enabled them not to furlough any staff. And both uh, both of the executives were very, very positive about this. And actually, JetBlue's got a track record of a full 20 years, never having furloughed a single member of staff. And they're really keen to maintain that. So obviously, a lot of US airline staff are a little bit worried about what happens in October, because that's when the CARES funding runs out. And after that time, airlines are no longer bound by this requirement to keep all their staff. Um, But what JetBlue has said is that they are actively encouraging people to take some unpaid time off. So, um, and actually, they've had a really good response from the team. It seems to be a very much sort of all for one and one for all mentality over there. And, you know, the the people that are taking time off are doing so willingly. Um, You know, there have been some rumours that it's been forced upon them, but that's not the message that we've been getting. Actually, you know, it's been offered on a voluntary basis and people are quite keen to take a bit of time off through the summer months. So, they're hoping that that will balance out 
about the need for, um, you know, having to furlough any staff in October. Although Joanna Gegarty, the president, did actually say that they will come back as slightly smaller airlines. So I guess we'll have to wait and see how that how that pans out in the long run. But, you know, fairly positive at the moment. Um, I just wanted to talk also a little bit about how they're coping with the return to flying because we're seeing lots of different approaches. You know, some things are fairly consistent across the industry, like um, extra deep cleaning and the wearing of face coverings. You know, that's fairly standard across the industry. But JetBlue is actually one of only a few airlines that has promised to leave the middle seat free. Um, and I think that runs through to the end of July. So on their um narrow body aircraft they're they're leaving the middle seat free in every group of three and then on their their smaller aircraft the e190 fleet they're leaving the aisle seat free so um you know they're kind of flying at a much reduced capacity which you know it's not sustainable going forward but i think in terms of giving people confidence that they're being looked after when they want to fly i think that's you know that's a really positive step and it's something that will be encouraging them um they've also been doing lots with technology which is quite exciting. So they've been, um, they've got far fewer touch points at the airports. Um, They already had kind of self-bagging and self-tagging. But Joanna said that she'd seen about, you know, a sort of threefold increase in the number of people accepting of this touchless technology. So it's kind of revolutionised the way that passengers are checking in their bags and themselves and dealing with the tagging issue. Um, They've also got self-boarding gates. And I know that they're running an interesting sort of boarding method that kind of boards the plane from front to back to stop people passing in the aisle. Um, And she said that all this, you know, everything that they're doing doesn't yet slow down the turnaround times, um, although it will obviously as the capacity ticks up. But at the moment, they're still managing to kind of stick to the schedules they've published and and deal with all these different challenges. And they're actually trialing, which I thought was quite interesting, a UV technology on the kiosks to kill germs. So I I think that's um, kind of on the bags as they go through. So um, to kind of zap any bugs that might be on the bags before they get loaded to a avoid any transmission in the cargo hold. Um, So yeah, all interesting stuff. Um, But the one thing I'm always interested to hear about is London and when are they coming and where are they going? (laughs) So they're still targeting um, arrival next year. So I think originally it was hoped for fairly early next year, maybe in time for the kind of Easter break. But now they're looking at later in the year. They haven't really specified a time. I guess it's all dependent on how things go over the next few months months but you know they're very firmly set on doing it next year and not pushing that date any further back um Joanna was asked with quite some um, encouragement to tell us which airport they'd be going to. Um, But she says they haven't actually decided yet. They're they're still weighing up options on London airports. And, you know, she's very focused on it having to be the right airport, not just in terms of whether the passengers will like it or whether it's affordable for JetBlue, but also in terms of the other airlines they connect on to. So, you know, although she did note that more opportunities had been opened up through COVID, with regards to airport slots and such like, um, she's still, I, I get the impression that she's still contemplating what's right for the sort of people that want to fly JetBlue. So we may be looking at more of a Gatwick or Stansted rather than a Heathrow. But, you know, don't quote me.
me on that because we just don't know at this stage. Um, I mean, I've always thought that they'd be going into Stansted, but um, that's a view that I've had long before COVID, before all these slots have opened up. But it just makes sense because they're cheap and there's room there. You know, there's no slot constraints because... Um, it's not a popular airport for no. long-haul carriers at the moment. and But it's becoming that because, I mean, before COVID, we saw El Al say they were going to return. They're not now, I don't think. But um, there was also Air India um, yeah, launched right. two flights and Emirates as operate was operating two daily flights as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely a contender. But I think perhaps they were looking at Stansted and now because there's capacity opening up at Gatwick, they're thinking, hmm, you know, do we, don't we? So I think we'll just have to wait and see on that one. But most excitingly, um, there have been some hints dropped about a lovely new mint cabin being developed for the A321s that will be coming over to London. So, you know, no details okay. on that at this stage. But um, as we always say, watch this space. And as soon as we know, yeah. we'll share it with our readers because mm. I can't wait to see what it's like. <laughs> So that was my you and uh, me both. that was my JetBlue update, and I'm really hoping to be on one of those flights, um, you know, pretty soon into their schedule because it's so exciting mm. to have a low cost option across across the Atlantic. Again, don't forget Primera. <laughs> well, of course, and with um, Wow Air, and yeah, there have been others, but I think JetBlue's operating model and their standard of service, you know, it really sets them apart, and it's going to be something really exciting. Not to mention the lie flat possibilities for not ridiculous British Airways prices. <laughs> so that's one low cost carrier. What's going in what's going on in Austria with the uh, low cost issue? Um right, so Austria this week announced a bailout for Austrian Airlines um, and the airline's going to get 600 million euros in aid from the government and other sources. So a quarter will come from um, the government directly and then another quarter will come as an injection from the Lufthansa group. And the final 300 million euros will come from bank loans. So it's quite a lot of money, but um, of course there are strings attached uh, by the Austrian government. And um, according to Austrian Aviation, one of these is that flight tickets should be no less than 40 euros, which is around $45. Um, and it's, it's not entirely clear if this 40 euro minimum fare would just be to Austrian airlines or to everyone. However, this next bit would apply to all carriers. And that basically says that airlines will not be able to sell a ticket for less than it costs them to operate the flight. Ah, that kind um, of kills the whole Ryanair yeah. model, doesn't it? <laughs> this would be a disaster for low-cost carriers um, because the way they make their money is that they sell the ticket for less than the cost mm -hmm. and they make the extra money from ancillary services. So, yeah. Let's take this uh, Ryanair as an example. Um, when I was writing the article, they had tickets from Stansted to Vienna in August selling as low as £16.99. Which is around, what, like 17 euros, something like that? Yeah. Yeah, 18 it's euros. Not they're they're pretty close much. to each other in currency terms these days, yeah. aren't they? <laughs> um, but what's interesting much about this is... Much less than 40 euros anyway. <laughs> yeah. But the interesting bit is, so that's £17. £13 of that goes straight to the UK government for air passenger duty. Wow. Which is a whole other kettle of fish that we could get into. But, <laughs> Let's not do um, that today. I think we discussed that with TJ a uh, yeah, few we weeks did. back. Yeah, we did. That's right. Yeah. Um, but that only leaves £4 of that ticket left to pay the crew, pay the staff, pay for fuel, 
pay for airport services, etc. And it's quite clear that that £4 isn't going to stretch to all of that. No. No, um, it really so, isn't. So they're relying I mean, on people buying yeah. baggage and priority boarding I mean, and things like that. Clearly they do because Ryanair, obviously, they make a huge profit usually and they're clever people. They're not going to sell things for... I mean, I usually try and game them so that they make a loss on my booking as a bit of fun. <laughs> but, um, you know, if I need a service, I pay for it. Sure. Um, and, I mean, like, take something like reserve seating, for example. It costs them nothing to implement this. Like, obviously, there would have been a cost to setting up the system, but I'm sure that has been met many, many, many times over from yeah, what they've made absolutely. Um, from that system. So, they're selling something that costs them nothing to implement. Um, and if you do that across the whole aircraft, that's going to be what, like... <laughs> A few hundred at least. <laughs> Good more. Maths, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, a few pounds. <laughs> more. Yeah, you got. This. Um, sorry, it's, it's too early. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one because the low cost model would isn't compatible with this because say everyone pays like I don't know, just say for example, forty euros is the going cost of that flight. Um, then they've still, on top of that, got to pay for their baggage, got to pay for reserve seating, priority boarding, whatnot. Um, and then it kind of gets to the point where would it actually be cheaper just to fly on Austrian with all of this included? Yeah, that's a consideration, isn't it? So in a rather weird bit of news today, um, we have picked up on a story about thousands of pigs who can actually fly. Um, so we've been lied to all these years about pigs not being able to fly um, because more than 3,000 happy hogs have um, been flying between Europe and China um, on a Boeing 747. So the queen of the skies and it's full of swine. Um, but it's, a, it's an interesting story because I didn't realise the Chinese ate quite so much pork. I knew it was a, a favourite of theirs, but apparently they eat an average of 30 kilograms of pork a year per person, which is twice as much as we eat here in the UK. Um, so the problem was normally they are jointly the world's biggest producer of pork and the biggest importer of pork. So they kind of make a lot themselves and bring a lot in from abroad. Um, but they've had an outbreak of African swine fever, which has decimated the local population. And the price of pork has gone up by 125%. And there was an analysis saying that there basically wasn't enough pork in the entire world to supply China with their pork needs. So, um, first of all, China tried to import some pork products from the US, but, you know, as I said, there just wasn't enough to keep them going. So, what they've had to do is look to repopulate their local stocks. Um, so, in steps Volga Depna, which is a, a Russian cargo carrier, um, you might know better as Airbridge Cargo. And they've been using a Boeing 747F to transport thousands of little piggies in wooden crates um, across the sort of six and a half thousand mile journey to China um, to get their pork stocks back up. So there were some incredibly cute photos of these piggies on, on planes. And let me just reassure our readers, the pigs aren't for pork, not these ones anyway. These are the, the breeding pairs that are going to be turned out in hopefully lovely fields and have a very happy life repopulating the local stocks. But um, they're not just going there to be slaughtered, thank goodness. <laughs> I just thought it was kind of interesting. And uh, our readers have been loving the story. So I, I can't imagine, you know, seeing a 747 land and a load of pigs coming out of it. <laughs> 
So from pig products to, I don't know, in-flight piggy people that want to eat while they're flying, how dare they? What's British Airways doing to feed its passengers, Tom? Um, so, yeah, it's been an interesting one because um, BA's obviously had a very reduced catering um, service of late because of the current crisis. And that's sort of been across many airlines, uh, like every or almost any airline is making changes to their policies as a result of coronavirus. We've seen um, Qatar Airways with its famous um, full body PPE and lot polishes making passengers social distance in a chessboard pattern. Um, So yesterday, British Airways revealed that it would be altering, yesterday when we're recording, of course, um, would be altering its catering service (laughs) for the foreseeable future. Um, And unfortunately, it's going to come as a downgrade to most passengers. Um, But it's really a case of there's no ill intentions here. It's done with the health and safety of crew and passengers in mind. Um, and what they're going to do with this is, this new thing is that um, contact points are going to be minimised. Um, so, for example, china plates and metal cutlery are being substituted with uh, disposable alternatives for the time being, which means that um, countless people aren't forced to touch it, putting it out and bringing it back in and washing uh-huh. it. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, I mean, there's been people complaining about it from an environmental standpoint, but obviously this is not an, a new policy for ever. This is just dealing with the current crisis. And I mean, if the environment is your policy, uh, is your number one concern here, then I think you should be going after airlines that are still flying empty planes around rather than, um, trying to safeguard the health of the people that are flying. Um, So, I mean, the good news is that passengers in first class will still get afternoon tea, um, which when I was chatting to um, a member of cabin crew at their training day last year, um, they were saying that this is the most popular thing and people will get on a flight in New York at 11pm and ask for afternoon tea just because it's so looked forward to. Um, so I mean, <laughs> they did look a bit poor. I have to say, the boxes. You know, they were yeah. not not really. <laughs> I guess it's a good workaround because it is a high touch yeah. point, and they needed to figure something out. But they didn't look great, to be honest. I mean, they're not the most amazing, and to be honest, I think I would turn my nose up at the World Traveler and Traveler Plus selections, which looked fairly uninspiring. But it's better than nothing, you know. Um, it is better than nothing. And there's still always the option of if you want, you can take your own food on board. I mean, that's what I always do with Ryanair. Um, and I've had yeah, no problems Yeah, that's always yet. an option. <laughs> um, so first, cl- yeah. um, the first class passengers um, get obviously the afternoon tea and they get this, they will get hot food, which um, looked a bit like what you usually get in economy. Um, but I'm sure it will be slightly tastier or whatnot or more fancy. Um, and mm-hmm. the sort of food for business class passengers looks slightly less fancy. It's still in a nice box. And then when you get down to economy and economy plus, um, they will share the same food, which all looked fairly uninspiring. Think of a sandwich with a tiny <laughs> salad and a mousse and a bottle of, of yeah, everybody gets a bottle of water. Um, 
But I, I guess the good news is that um, beverages aren't suffering. So the airline will still serve a mix of non-alcoholic and alcoholic beverages, including hot okay. drinks like tea and coffee. Will that be with um, a trolley service as per before? Uh, I assume so, because I can't really see how you can manage the drinks otherwise. No, um, that's it. So, I mean, we'll just, I guess we'll have to wait and see what people are saying about it. But um, in terms of short haul flights, passengers actually get a slightly better offering um, because obviously the airline very famously scrapped um, its free catering in economy for a buy on board menu, which it's not been able to offer, offer because of this. Um, because of the situation. Yeah. So instead, like, obviously in Club Europe, you'll still get a meal. It's going to be in a box like everyone else. And it's probably not the most amazing thing, but you're getting something. Um, and in economy, everyone will get a bottle of water and a snack. Ooh. And I did ask um, my contacts at BA what the snack would be, and they weren't able to tell me. So well, I guess it depends um, what they've got in the cupboard. <laughs> yeah, it could be anything from like a bag of pretzels, I guess, to a sandwich um, with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not do that again, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going there. No. Um, so um, it's, it, I think it's it's obviously not as amazing as what you can buy in on the buy on board menu but they're giving it to you for free so it's an improvement really, really isn't it yeah. exactly um so i mean i'm kind of keen to book a flight with ba um sort of soon to see what this actually looks like in practice but um with everything that's going on that's probably going to be a long way off and maybe they've even got rid of uh, gone back to their normal um food by then but it's interesting because We've had some people comment on Simple Flying saying, oh, yeah, no, this is just another cost-cutting measure and mm. uh, they're disguising it as um, coronavirus. But well, I really don't think... Well, the hate for BA is just insane at the moment. Here in the UK, you know, there's a real... It's an absolute uproar about the, the potential layoffs that they're, they're doing. But, you know, I find it absolutely bizarre that they've had this tiny little loan from the government, 300 million, um, and are looking at potentially layoffs Laying off up to 12,000 people. And I must say it's up to 12,000 people. It's not definite that that's the number that's going. And the whole country is in, up in arms about it. But over in your neck of the woods, Lufthansa has had 9 billion euros of bailout. And they're looking at firing, what was it, 22,000 people? 26. 26,000. And so far, nobody's saying anything. So, yeah, the, the mind boggles um, the things people get angry about. But uh, I don't think that I don't think the meal boxes are necessarily a cost cutting measure. And I don't think they're here to stay either. I think this is, you know, just dealing with the situation that's presented to no them. No one would like they, they'd be shooting themselves in the foot if this was their long term plan, because why would you spend X amount to fly on British Airways in first class with uh, a boxed afternoon tea when you could fly with another carrier with um, a full first class service you know quite exactly. clearly this isn't isn't no. the way forward but <laughs> it's more how we deal with things that are happening right now exactly but talking of Lufthansa you are flying Lufthansa soon aren't you or you're planning to yeah I am and what did you find out about so obviously Lufthansa actually I think was the first um, carrier to be um to say we're scrapping social distancing and we're introducing mandatory masks instead. And they seem to have been a, ahead of the curve with this sort of what to do on social distancing because they implemented it before everyone else and they took it away 
before everyone else. And I think a few days later, um, IATA came and said, yeah, Lufthansa is doing this. They didn't mention Lufthansa, obviously, but they said what Lufthansa is doing, yes. we recommend for everyone. Yeah. Um, so imagine my surprise when I was booking flights and I was looking at the seat selection tool. And um, these are flights from Frankfurt to Bilbao. Every single middle seat was taken. Oh. Now, I really struggle to believe that every single middle seat hogger in the world is flying on, on a Lufthansa flight, flight to Bilbao in July. Who uh, picks a middle so seat anyway? So it was interesting. So, yeah. Um, so I, I, um, I did contact Lufthansa to ask about this and they told me that the policy is um, it's sort of a implement social distancing where we can scenario. So they will sell every seat on the aircraft if the demand is there, but they've blocked out the middle seats um, until that demand arises. So the middle seats are only selectable, I think, like when check-in opens. Right, okay. Um, which is an interesting one because obviously what well, the fares that I were looking at included baggage, but they also include free seat selection. So traveling with someone else, it would give me the option to uh, say I could take seat A and she could take seat C and then if the flight is, I, I doubt the Bilbao flight will be fully booked. But if it is, but we just end up with a stranger sat next to us. That's quite uh, weird, in between isn't us. it? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, in reality, if you said to a person in B, we're traveling together, would you mind moving? The answer is probably going to be like, no, sure. Um, but it's it's a bit weird that this is the policy. Yeah. It, it could be handled better, and, I think, really. You know, particularly yeah, when you've you know, got I seat can, selection. I can I could understand if like it was trying to put individual people booking apart, but like it's quite clear that two people who are on the same booking should be able to sit together. Yeah, it's a weird one, but uh, I guess just like BA, they're doing what they can to I don't know to try and make people feel more comfortable flying. Although I think I'd feel more comfortable flying if I knew for sure that I'd be sitting next to my husband and not to some random person in the middle seat. But there you go. <laughs> Okay, well, I think that's it for today's podcast. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it and we welcome any feedback as usual at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.